today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about SpaceX's Starship sticking the landing, sort of. Ford's Mustang Mach-E stealing some sales from Tesla? Swappable EV batteries, the Hyundai Ionic 5 possibly taking the fast charging crown, and more. As usual, I'm joined by the benevolent and magnanimous Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? You did go back to that. I was wondering if you would go back to that. Yeah. Back by popular demand, by the way. That's, that's I'm doing right. great. I'm doing great. Um, don't have a video yet this week. We're thinking we're going to do a video on the solar glass roof, which I'm thinking for Saturday or Sunday. How about you? What did you do this week? Uh, I put a video out on the... I actually blanked what I'm putting a video out on. It was I did one Neuralink recently. That's the one I just did, Neuralink. I'm working on so many things. I've lost track of what I'm doing. But I did uh, Neuralink, and uh, I find that so fascinating, the brain-computer interface stuff and where this could go in the future. So I did a video kind of exploring that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. If you haven't haven't seen it, you got to check it out. I have one on my channel as well. Oddly, it's a kind of not too commonly talked about part of Elon's you know blanket of businesses. But talk about potential for radically changing our world. I can't think of anything uh, with more potential than Neuralink. Yeah. All right. And before we get to our first topic, I want to take a quick moment and say thank you guys, all of you, for watching and joining us here today on Saturday or on Thursday live. And if you could take a moment, hit that like button. Let YouTube know you're having fun and watching our videos. Maybe they'll spread this to more of our viewers. And you can always make sure to notify, turn on notifications, your subscription, and maybe share it on social media. Who knows? Maybe we can uh, grow this thing and, and keep reaching more of you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, to kick things off, let's jump into the first story, which is SpaceX Starship rocket sticks the landing for the first time and then explodes 10 minutes later. So you and I actually had a little kind of informal bet when we were talking about this last time about if they would succeed on the third try. And and I was very dubious that they would. And I said, I didn't think they would. Uh, so did I I'm, say yes? You said they would. And so I think oh, we're both kind of okay. half right because they did <laughs> land. But then I was right because they did still explode. So I think we're both, we both went on this one. They, they've been doing these tests to try to, to um, test the landing procedure as they're coming in for re-entry. So it's basically the belly flop maneuver, that kind of stuff is what they're testing. So the fact that they were crashing the past couple times wasn't that big of a deal because they were get, trying to get different kinds of data out of it. So it was, it was a success whether it exploded or not. This time they actually did get the landing. The landing gear did not quite work right. So it landed and it was leaning and there was some kind of leak. So after about 10 minutes, it finally it kind of exploded. But they got, they got all the data they needed from, even though it exploded. So this is just really exciting news. And the fact that so many people are watching this every single time they do it, it shows how much engagement and excitement that they're, they're getting around space flight again, which is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I remember I was on my Twitter feed and there were all these people who were tweeting, congratulations, we did it, we landed. And um, if, you, if you scroll like into the, into the comments of each tweet, invariably about five or seven or eight later, it's like, Ooh, ouch, yeah, a crash. But the thing is, this is a really difficult problem to solve. And by the way, SpaceX has kind of done this before. If you remember the Falcon 9, they know what they're doing. The difference is, I mean, just think about the scale of Starship. It is, it is, on, it is really just like from a sci-fi movie. If you think about like going to space and colonizing Mars, you think of something like Starship and just the, the size of it and the, you know, just the difficulty of, of having everything work exactly right and then especially considering that it's all automated is an incredible engineering feat. A couple of things that were different this time around, they fired three Raptor engines. Previously, I think they looked at like, you know, the performance analytics or something like automate, uh, in an automated fashion and fired up the two best engines that, that they felt were 
uh, going to work. This time, they fired all three and said, let's just fire them and let's see how they perform and then go from there. So they could just pick from that. Um, so that was a little bit different. Also, a couple of points I, I remember reading about was that landing gear is kind of made a crumple. Typically, when you engineer something, you design failure into it so that if something is going to fail, it's a part that you make a little bit weaker on purpose. That way, it's easier or you know, for some advantageous reason. That landing gear can crumple. You'd rather have the landing gear crumple than lose the entire craft, right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of kind of a win, really. It did kind of have a little bit of a lean to it. It looked a little odd. To me, it kind of just, I've, I've, I kind of just kind of looked around kind of thinking, is, are we good? Is this, you know, did this work out quite right? Because there was a little bit of like something coming, emitting some kind of a gas. Or there was a little, what was appeared a fire. to be a leak. It was there, a fire, there, right? There was some uh, kind of fire. <laughs> we don't know where exactly, for, yeah, but that time will tell. And as, as an engineer, you got to remember that this stuff is gold. Like they are telemetering data and they have real life flight test data with a starship leaving the atmosphere and coming back in a 10-minute journey. You can't, I mean, it's invaluable. So it's always a win and we're progressing forward. And uh, I think what's really cool about SpaceX doing this is they put more of a focus on the public relations aspect of it. That footage you were talking about. I'm thinking they have some kind of a heat shield or something and a camera with a really crazy lens that's on some automated gimbal. I don't know. It's got to be, it looks like it's some kind of like machine learning, like object tracking going on because there's obviously it's not man 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 controlled so it's got some kind of it's just beautiful beautiful shots it really is the nasa perseverance perseverance launch and landing nasa is getting better about this too because like the footage that we got from that is getting much more immersive and it's like that seems like the baseline now because it's like if you want to get the public excited about this stuff you have to bring us along with it so that we can experience it like we're there Tesla's good at that. I mean, SpaceX is good at that. NASA's getting better at that. It's just, I just love seeing all the space stuff that's going on over the past year or two, and it's just getting more and more exciting as it ramps up. Yeah. I mean, what, any, you want to take any bets on SN11, uh, or should we, yeah, let's let's wait and see. Maybe the comments, we'll, we'll read through the comments and figure <laughs> out what, what people think, what they could expect. I think but they'll land success- cool stuff. I think they'll do it successfully next time. I think it, I think okay. it will oh. land, and it will not explode. It's like, this, to me, was like, okay, this seems like a turning point. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. The belly flop maneuver just looked really smooth. Um, in, in, in one of the parts of that footage, you can see the thrust vectoring on the on the yeah. Raptor engines. It's just incredible stuff, man. Yeah. We're getting spoiled, by the way. This used to be like three times in your lifetime. And now we're kind of like, get your popcorn out, guys. It's another launch. Like, yeah. Just imagine how common this is becoming. It's incredible. All right. The next one is my kind of cringeworthy... <laughs> um, <laughs> title of the day you know matt matt and i are on youtube we get it it's tough to get views so i mean the the story is ford mustang maki stole sales from tesla in february and <laughs> this is from the roadshow but i actually saw a couple of them with pretty much the same idea and what they talk about is that they stole market share because in february of 2020 tesla had 69 percent and are, they had 81 percent of the electric vehicle market and now a year later in february 2021 that number has plummeted to a measly 69%. Oh, jeez. Um, I, would, I, would, I would challenge you to find any company that has that dominant a market position in any industry. It's probably, there probably aren't any examples of that. But um, yes, Ford is selling, which is a great thing. I kind of, we talked about this, I think, last week. It's a, I mean, look at this thing. It's a beautiful car. We talked about how I kind of felt that in terms of like 
architecture, maybe Ford was not doing as much as GM, but what they hit out of the park was designing a car that was highly desirable. When I was driving around in this car, people paid attention. I was getting waved at and it was it was a it was a it was a point of of pride. People were really excited about the car, which maybe I think GM hasn't quite captured yet. That might change coming up and I hope it does. But yes, the Ford is selling. Um, I will <laughs> I will catch up by saying that they've had some delays. They're offering like free charging and some other perks to comp- uh, to customers who are waiting to take delivery because it has been delayed. But they're selling a ton of them. They can't sell them fast enough. That's all really great. I think what's also important is that the sales continue years down the road because any new hot thing can sell for like a couple of months. But like two years into this design, kind of like the Model 3 is, the Model 3 is still selling like crazy all these years later. So that's really kind of the, the sticking point. But my prediction is they will because this car is really pretty. And uh, I think it I think it will sell. Yeah, the, this article obviously rubbed me the wrong way a little bit because it's a clickbaity headline, which I totally get. But the framing of it being like, oh, Tesla's market share has been stolen from Ford was really the wrong framing. And anybody that watches the industry should know that Tesla's never going to be able to hold on to that 80% market share ever. And, the, and they're not going to be able to hold on to the 60% market share. It's just not going to happen. It's going to keep shrinking as more and more car makers start putting better and better EVs on the market. Competition is going to increase. And I know a lot of people hate it when I bring up Apple, but it's like you got to, there's so much we can learn from, by looking at history. Apple, like with the iPhone, dominated smartphones with the iPhone when they came out with that after, over the first few years of that product because there was nothing else like it on the market. And then slowly over the next decade or so, it was like everybody else started coming out with theirs. And so the market share started to shrink <laughs> because more Android phones were coming on the market that were able to compete. So it doesn't mean that Apple is a failure today because even though Apple has a much smaller market share than Android, they dominate in the amount of money that's generated not just from iPhone sales, but the amount of money that's spent on a phone. It's it's still <laughs> it still kind of dwarfs what is spent on Android, which is kind of astonishing that you have a smaller player that has such a dominant force in the market. And it's like that to me is where Tesla seems to be going. It's going to be this maybe a slightly sl- smaller market share overall with all the car makers in the world, but it's going to be a dominant player with just how much of the revenue it just dominates through their uh, you know, self-driving, through their software, through their AI stuff, everything. It's just like when you put it all together, they're going to be <laughs> the dominant force for all the companies that are in, in the market right now. So it's, I think, just look at history and you can kind of project where things are kind of going. Really good point. The, this speaks nothing about profit margin. Like how much is Ford making per Maki? That's another question, right? But yeah. another thing too is, and this is why I, I've, I'm kind of seeing some comments about this already, but these kinds of articles should like just, just make me so angry because that is a percentage of market share. But if yesterday we sold 100 cars and 80 were Tesla, yes. and a year from now we sell a million cars and 600,000 were Teslas, there's no world in which that's a failure, right? So Correct. Tesla sales aren't declining. They're selling more, but so is everybody else. So when everybody else sells stuff, your market share will shrink. Uh, to your point, I think Apple's like 10 or 15% market share around the world. But that still translates to millions and millions of iPhones and Android uh, and iPads and stuff. So, yeah. So this is a, I, I kind of, I feel like weaponizing math is what I call it. When people do these kinds of ridiculous statistical things where you can kind of try to use numbers to tell whatever story you want. But um, somebody else mentioned the the point of this article 
isn't that Tesla is losing anything. I think anybody who's trying to buy a Y is, I mean, they're not, they're not sitting around anywhere, you know, so every Y that they're making, they're selling. And now Ford is doing the same thing too. So guess what? The sales are coming out from gas cars. So the Ford Escape or the, the RAV4 or the, you know, the Honda, what is it? The CRV, that class of car is what is under, you know, under attack, not, not Tesla. So this is part of why we always talk about, I want to see tons and tons of EVs because as there's more and more EVs, Tesla's part of the pie will be smaller, but the number of cars they sell will be huge. That's not constricting the supply. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> it's market share is ultimately kind of meaningless. If you're yeah. turning a profit and you're selling tons of a product, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're 10% or 60%. You can be a successful company, whatever your market share is. So it's a, it's a kind of a meaningless number to kind of focus on. So next up is a startup named Ample which is uh, Ample's creating a, um, they're basically been working for the past six years on a swappable EV battery station, which will take, will be automated and take about 10 minutes is what they're trying to target. And they've just, it was just on Wednesday, I believe that they've kind of announced this and they have a modified Nissan Leaf that they've been using as an example, as a test bed to show what it's like and the technology is like. And they've been working with partners like Uber, which is kind of interested in this technology, which kind of makes sense when you think about it with a robo taxi fleet, you'd probably want something that would be cars drive in, swap battery out 10 minutes later, they're back picking up more passengers. So it kind of makes sense why they're doing that. But it's when you read this article, it's one of those, I thought we had moved past this kind of concept because charging networks are becoming more ubiquitous. Uh, charging speeds are getting much, much better. The need for something like this is diminishing. And so it kind of like, to me felt more like we've had this conversation about fuel cells in the past where it's fuel cells had their, their time to shine. And that time has passed. Swappable battery packs in a car is kind of like where I'm at. It's like battery packs have gotten 300 miles of range. We're getting charging times down to 20, 30 minutes, even better in some cases, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. But it's one of those, why do we need this? This doesn't seem like it's ever going to become a thing for the consumer market. It only seems like it would be something that might fit for a commercial market in some fashion. Exactly, yeah. A little bit of, little bit of deja vu to be sure when I, when I first saw this article, that there's still companies pursuing this. You know, part one of the challenge is the least battery is not the same as the Kona or the Model 3 or anything else. They're all different. And so as a result, you're, I mean, it's not like the AA battery. If you have a AA or AAA, it's a standard. Every car is a little bit different. They're going to manufacture their packs a little bit differently. Now we're moving toward like structural packs with Tesla. Um, we're moving the wrong direction. We're moving away from standardization. Uh, you know, I remember in the, in the Lucid uh, presentations, they talked about how they sculpt the car on the bottom. That way they have as much uh, as low of an aerodynamic profile as possible. And so their entire battery pack was built around that bottom profile of the car. So you're never going to have, you know, any sort of a standard, I don't think. So this is a bizarre move. I think what might happen, and I think you're right, potentially, even then, I put it kind of a 50-50, commercial use, you know, if you have a big truck, you'd have to have tons and tons of batteries to have any kind of range. But what if you could just do part of your route, come back, swap a battery, and go back out there? And maybe in that kind of an aspect... For commercial trucks, you could standardize the modules and make it all like no matter even if you're doing the Rivian parcel truck or your arrival or Lion or whoever you are, maybe if they could all get together and agree on a pack standard, this might potentially take off. But 
it, it seems to fly in the face of where we're headed in terms of all this breakthrough technology and batteries in terms of charging and everything else, like you mentioned. So kind of feels like they're on the wrong side of this one. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely in that camp of like, you spent six years doing this? <laughs> like, it seems like there could have been a better, better approach. Yeah, and I will say they got funded, right? So somebody believed in the idea and it's, uh, it's a Silicon Valley startup, but it makes me kind of wonder like who's, who's funding this. And you know what, though? At the same time, if there's people with money to burn to follow up on every little idea out there, who knows? Maybe the future will see if this, this works out. Terribly capital intensive, too. You have packs sitting around. Yes. Not being in, using cars. I don't know. Yeah, tough one. Ready for the next story? Yep. Go for it. All right. The next story is one we touched on last week and is one that I have been actually thinking about for a long time. I remember in college, I wrote this paper. Uh, it was kind of like this engineering study. It was in my engineering, I think it was my third year of engineering school, where we talked about future trends and how that might project or hurt industries. We were working as a company. So there's going to be a worldwide shortage of semiconductors. It's already happening. And the sad part is people are projecting it's going to uh, happen all the way into 2022. The reason why? Well, think of a product that you would buy today that doesn't have some sort of a brain, a smart sensor on it. So whether you're doing custom stuff like Apple has, you know, the M1 Mac or AMD CPUs, try getting an NVIDIA graphics card. We talked about that. But even little smaller things, like maybe you have some smaller off-the-shelf kind of a bit to make a smart camera or a smart... Uh, the other day, I saw a smart thermostat, like a thermos. Sorry, not thermostat, a thermos. I, I always thought, you know, a dump thermos is fine by me. Keep my coffee hot for four or five hours. But there are companies that are making smart ones for whatever reason. And so as there's more and more parts out there that are needing brains, CPUs... And with COVID and globalization and the fact that there's very few companies that actually manufacture components, we have this current scenario. Why does this matter? Well, if you're an investor and you're looking at car companies, there's a lot of car companies that are being hit by this. GM and I think Ford and VW have all kind of claimed that they've run into shortages. And if you don't have CPUs, you're not building modern cars. Like They're incredibly uh, uh, computer intensive. They're computers on wheels. So... I think this is something that is a trend. Uh, I hate to be the kind of the bearer of bad news, but this is a trend we need to watch closely and hope that, you know, things pick up or get better because this has the potential to really limit the growth of our of our industries and stuff. Yeah, the, the article that you, you found cited quite a few different analysts. It wasn't just one analyst said this. It was a bunch that were saying we're quarters, not months, but quarters away from being caught up because the semiconductor industry is so far behind. And one of the stats that I thought was interesting was uh, they're about 10 to 30% below current demand levels. And to be able to close that gap, they're expecting three to four quarters worth to make that catch up. And uh, was it TSMC, who's like one of the biggest manufacturers, they do stuff for Apple, Apple devices and the Apple chips. Uh, they're currently spending $28 billion to build new factories, additional fabrications, so they can catch up. That's that's an insane amount of money to be spending to build new factories to be able to keep up with demand. It's like, just think about Tesla. It's like They're building all these gigafactories around the world to ramp up, and they're basically working at capacity right now. The chip industry is doing the same thing. So there's going to be a lag time 
for them to catch up with all this just pent up demand. And the pandemic is why it's slowed down on one side for production. And it's also why the demand for these devices has increased because more people are working from home. There's been an increase in purchases of laptops and things like that. So it's kind of like the perfect storm just created a horrible situation for all of this and just kind of brought it to a head probably sooner than it needed, than, than it would have otherwise. And one, one more thing to talk about here. Uh, somebody mentioned, Jim mentioned that Tesla designs their own chips, which is very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last uh, self-driving presentation that they had, the Autonomy Day, they talked about their custom SOC, which, you know, the cores and how it has, you know, how it powers the neural net and the computer vision and the, all, those, all the different parts of what their, what their needs are. So Tesla designs their own SOCs, uh, systems on chips, kind of like what Apple does with the M1. And there's a lot of other people that do it as well but they don't manufacture. So they'll very much be hit with this as well. Even AMD, who you, you might think manufactures chips, they don't. Really, in, in the US, it's pretty much Intel, and that's pretty much it. Qualcomm, I think, as well, has some. But the, the fabrication of these things are limited to very few companies. And I think one thing I've learned from this pandemic is globalization makes sense, I think, but we need to not put all of our eggs in one basket or be in a situation where uh, global trends or like a pandemic like this can completely cripple the entire world's economy because... Nobody makes stuff anymore, and all we're doing is designing and not actually fabricating. So, complicated uh, issue, but um, actually, I, I was reading this, I believe, in this article. Intel, who does manufacture their own chips, was considering outsourcing to, like, TSMC, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, or, like, Global Foundry, some of these other companies out there, because they can't get the 7 nanometer process, which is what AMD has right now. So, this is an example of, like, where Intel's vertical integration is actually hurting them, but they backed out because there's a shortage. So they're like, okay, well, we thought about it, but apparently it's not going to work out for us. But, you know, let's hope that... A bit, somebody mentioned Bitcoin mining. <laughs> that has not helped matters, to be sure. I think NVIDIA is trying to make more cryptocurrency mining-related GPUs. That way people who want to like do gaming or machine learning and stuff aren't hitting these limitations. But, man, it's been tough. I've been waiting like six months for a RTX card. We talked about this. And every yeah. month I get an email saying... Hey, we didn't forget about you, but there's no supply. We'll try yeah. again next next month. Yeah, I've been waiting but, for yeah. my RTX 3080 for <laughs> forever. I feel like it's going to be the end of the year before I get one, <laughs> which is which is crazy. It very well, might be Matthew. I'm sorry to say, but it very well might be at this rate. Yeah. The final the final story is a story we've talked about recently, which is the Hyundai Ionic Five, which was spotted out in the real world charging at really fast speeds. So the picture here shows a gentleman who is hitting 150 kilowatts at an 80% SOC state of charge, which is really fast. Anybody who has an electric car, I'm thinking if you have a Tesla probably at this point, potentially Electrify America, but if you have a Tesla, you know when you get to about 80%, you're not getting those, those peak speeds. And so what I think people have noted here is that this would make, based on the math of how quickly this charged, the new king of the hill in terms of charging speed. And, you know, it talks about 10 miles of range added every minute, which uh, which is pretty good. But, yeah. of course, there's other variables here. And one thing, I, the one reason I wanted to bring this really to the forefront today was because this car, the Ionic 5, has an 800-volt architecture. Um, somebody alluded to my, I had a little debate with Warren about Lucid the other day. But I've, I've kind of made this point that like the future is 800 volt, make no mistake about it. What what's end up what ended up happening is Tesla kind of had the you know first to the market advantage. But one of the cons of that is 
they've kind of been stuck with that 400 volt uh, architecture. So as other companies now are newer, they can see what happened. Now they're second to the market and they can say, okay, well, if we do this, we can get charge speeds down even further. And so I think all future EVs are probably going to be 800 volt. And I think Tesla's as well. I, in fact, my prediction, I think I mentioned this last time, is the Roadster and the Plaid Plus is going to be an 800 volt architecture. So this is kind of a look at the competition in terms of what they can bring and why we, you know, we should be looking at this in terms of the broader market and why, even if it isn't Tesla, other companies can innovate and bring really cool aspects to self, uh, to EVs. 350 kilowatt, that sounds pretty good to me. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I love this story because it's like, we talked about this car before. It's like, I like the way it looks. It's got interesting looks. It's going to be somewhat affordable. It's going to have pretty good range and it clearly is going to be one of the top charging cars that you can buy for fast charging it's it's absolutely incredible it's the one-two punch that you need an ev to really get mass adoption which is having the range to address range anxiety which is also compounded by people not wanting to stop and charge for an hour so if you can have the range plus the fast charging so you only have to charge for 15 20 minutes it's the one-two punch to get people to buy into evs and to not feel so scared about trying it and it looks like Hyundai may be onto something with the Ionic 5, that they may be hitting that kind of sweet spot of, here's a car that goes maybe 250 miles and can charge up in 20 minutes. It's it's incredible. And that video, if you, if, if you we can put a link to it in the description, but the video is worth, worth watching because it's still charging at, it was 149 kilowatts, even when the battery is 80% full. And that that's incredible. That's That's really really a respectable number to be that full and still charging that fast. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to go and look at my photos I've taken while I've supercharged, but I'm going to say around 50 is what I usually get at that point of the charge cycle. Yep. If I come in really empty, I'm going to see 190, maybe 200. I've never seen 250 ever, uh, but then that quickly tapers off to closer to, yeah, 50, I'm going to say, 50-ish, yeah. around 80%. Yeah. So 16 minutes have, to... 16 minutes to add 42 kilowatt hours. It's like 16 minutes to add 42 kilowatt hours. That's, that's basically yeah, how, two thirds of the battery charge of that car. It's really so, good. Yeah, how close are we at that point to being pretty much on parity, right? It, you know, if, especially if you have to go and pay for gas, we get a stick of gum or something or hit the restroom. Yeah, I think we're pretty much right there. So that's really exciting. One thing here is they, um, we've, we've kind of, I totally forgot what I was going to say here. They hit of all architecture is really important. And I think Tesla's, Somebody mentioned the uh, the semi. I think the semi is going to have an even higher system architecture uh, voltage. And there's nothing, people have made the argument, you know, it doesn't really matter exactly. The Taycan isn't more efficient or have more range and stuff. Uh, the point really is if you're charging a car at 250 kilowatts, like the Tesla V3 chargers, and you have a 480-ish volt architecture, the amount of current passing through that those big wires is twice as much as that as a, um, a Electrify America that runs at a higher voltage. So that's where that heat buildup and you have to have cool, like active cooling in the, in the cable itself and all the challenges really kind of stockpile. So make no mistake, the future is 800 volt. And uh, I think the next couple of years, like the Cybertruck, all the Teslas that are coming forward from now on with the 4680 pack, my prediction is they're gonna move to a higher voltage architecture as well. I think you're right. Well, I think it's gonna be that time we gotta call it Sorry to say goodnight, but... <laughs> Don't forget about the podcast as well. Matt does great work 
also making this a podcast if that's more your flavor. We've got that. Um, Otherwise, every Thursday, same time. Every week, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and hit that like bell, my like button and the bell so that you don't miss out on future videos when we release it. Hit all the bells. And if you could drop a review for the podcast on whatever platform you're using, that would be really helpful. It does help the podcast. And thanks again to everyone. We'll see you in the next one.